I call this my like granddaddy gremlin it his he is the you're not good enough gremlin and he spawns all the other gremlins but they can all be traced back to him and so it just fed that feeling of not feeling good enough you are listening to made of human also known as the mopad a podcast hosted by sophie hagen who is a danish comedian trying to find out how to do life listening i am in i'm in a good mood because i'm actually really excited about today's guest i shouldn't say i'm actually really excited as if i'm not usually excited but it's a special one i think um miriam pasha is the curator of london no tedx london and tedx london women she is an extraordinary person and she's so i mean you get to hear her (laughs) you get to hear her talk um in a bit (laughs) so I don't want to give too much away but she's a she's a friend of mine apart from being this incredible person and I've learned so much from her this is one one of the things that I have learned from her the most most important thing I've learned from her so when I met her a few years ago and I must have met her when she booked me to be on TEDx London Women where I did if you google like TEDx London Women Sophie Hagen this my TEDx talk is up there and well, I'm, now I'm feeling like I must have known her before that, but maybe I don't. Anyway, it's not the point. The point is, when we were getting to know each other, she would make a lot of sort of spit self-deprecating, sarcastic jokes about how she was going to make herself my friend and she just really wanted to be friends with me and she was going to force me to be friends with her. And it was sort of like, it was funny, but it was, it was sort of also just that. And this is what I learned. I learned that people don't always don't always know how brilliant they are and i learned that i should not trust people uh when they say i should not necessarily always trust what people say that they are because sometimes people don't know and that works both ways right i mean i just very fully trust most people which i definitely shouldn't and i've had my share of experiences proving that i definitely shouldn't Uh, But if someone's like, I'm amazing, I'm like, oh, have you heard about Brian? He's amazing. And uh, that's not always the case. Where with Mariam, it was very much the same thing of her sort of downplaying herself. And I found myself believing it, you know, subconsciously. I met up with her and had this, I believe what she'd said about herself. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be meeting with this person who's sort of not extraordinary, you know? Who, who just really needs me to be her friend. And I, this was never something I thought in my head out loud, obviously, but that was the energy she'd given off. And so I was like, okay, cool. And then I met with her and I was absolutely blown away by her sharpness and her humor and her intelligence and how interesting she was. And I was like, oh, hold on. How dare I, you know, how dare I believe her? When she says, like, she was just making jokes or maybe she was, I don't know. I don't know if any of this is making sense. But that's sort of what I, in my head, connect with Miriam is this idea that she will ever so slowly 
remove layers and introduce you to all of the different interesting sides of herself. And you know what? If she'd been open about that from the beginning, if she'd been like, I am one of the most intelligent, one of the most accomplished, interesting uh, people you will ever meet, I would have been like, oh, I am afraid to have lunch with you <laughs> because I can't live up to that. Uh, and that's how we ended here, where we are actually friends and I am actually a bit in awe of her. And um, I guess the reason I put so much emphasis on how much we're friends is both because she's not a, she's not like a famous person, like, you know, many of the people I talk to and she's not really the face of what she does. We co-hosted TEDx London Women together last year, the year after I did my TEDx London Women talk. And uh, that was sort of, that's the extent of how she is in the public eye, right? You know, she's on stage introducing it, but she's not. Um, she's sort of more like a business, a businesswoman behind the scenes sort of thing. So that's what, what makes her a tiny bit different from what we're used to. But I think that's, I have no reason for not talking to more business, businessy people. You know, they don't all, all have to have an Instagram profile with <laughs> thousands of followers. Uh, and, and this chat really proves that because she, yeah, there's, there's nothing that makes it not as good as any other chat with any other person. So I'm, I'm just really excited to sort of, in, you know, let you meet my friend who's also happens to be just super cool and, uh, and great. So I'm going to let you listen to that in a bit. I just, just, a, just a few quick sort of updates. I, um, I'm doing a new show. I don't remember if I've told you this before. I'm doing a new show on the on July 23rd, and it's on the internet, so you can watch it from all over the world. It's called uh, it's called How to Love Your Fat. Yes, it's sort of the, the title is sort of similar to last month's because I haven't quite figured out how to name these yet, but I think I have now. So it's on July 23rd, 9 p.m. UK time, and then once it's over, uh, the video will. Up, be uploaded for about 40 minutes to an hour and then after that it'll be available for 24 hours afterwards so if you're in a, a time zone where 9 p.m uk time doesn't work for you you can uh, watch it for the next 24 hours wherever you are and uh, i'm going to be talking about fat sex fat uh dating and fat gender you know being non-binary and fat how that feels and stuff like that and as always, I'm going to be taking questions. If you go to buy tickets on sophiehagen.com, you can leave a question with your voice. That You can leave a voice message that I can play on the show and nothing makes me as excited as that. It's the best thing in the whole world. I'm very, very, ex I'm very excited about that. Um, oh, also, I should say, if you're not a patron yet, do, do do that because, and particularly now, because... As I usually do with new guests, after this uh, conversation with Miriam, we recorded an extra bit for the for just for the patrons, where we talked about. Um, I asked all the usual questions: What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done? What's the worst thing you did as a teenager? What's your unpopular opinion? And by the way, her unpopular opinion is like, whoa, <laughs> like, oh, why did we not talk about this in the main bit? And um, and then afterwards, we actually talked for qu quite a while about fatness and and uh and sort of going through the journey of learning to love yourself and 
again, I was like, this is this is just really good, and I'm so happy that I can I can give this to the patrons because, you know, I've had a lot of repeat guests in the past couple of weeks, and so obviously we haven't done another extra bit yet. Uh, so I'm just happy to be able to give you one that's then also very good. Um, okay, what else did I need to tell you? I'm a bit all over the place. I slept for many hours and I'm still tired. And I think I've just been doing a lot of psychological work. There's a lot of brain stuff and trauma, blah, blah. And I, <laughs> I think that's why I'm tired. My brain is like, can we please just take a second? Because being alive is quite exhausting right now. So I think I'm going to go to bed. Well, straight after this. Straight after having recorded this. And uh, having sent it to Dave, my amazing editor. So, as for now, I will let you listen to my conversation with one of the most inspiring uh, people I know. And someone that I'm very proud to to call a friend of mine. And one that I am ashamed of uh, having underestimated <laughs> before I got to know her. Uh, yeah, you're going to be learning a lot from this, so... Just enjoy this conversation with the incredible Miriam Pasha. Those who don't know who you are, which is approximately everyone, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I think that's pretty generous. <laughs> um, hi, uh, I'm Miriam Pasha. Uh, I am the director and curator for Telex London and TEDx London Women. I also run my own business. Um, and yeah, I spend my days kind of working with amazing speakers, helping them share their ideas and putting together really interesting lineups on different topics. Is there a, I don't know. I don't know if it's something like, it, I, you didn't mention anything about you. You just mentioned your job. I know. Okay. So I can talk more about me. Um, I'm no, I was, well, I was just wondering if there's a, if there's a thing in that. If there's a thing in you, like, um, how big of a part is your job in your identity? Oh, it's everything, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know that it's not supposed to be. Um, but I learned a long time ago that I, I, I love what I do and I have to love what I do. Like, I'm not one of those people who can do something that they don't like doing, you know. Um, mm. And so... I love what I do and all the TEDx stuff is pro bono anyway. So for a lot of people, maybe they wouldn't consider that work. They consider that their hobby. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can't do what much else right now, especially. So um, I do think it's a big part of my identity. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have anything insightful about that, but um, other than maybe it shouldn't be, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've, I think I can relate to that to some extent. What, 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 where are we meeting you right now? In your headspace, in your life, in your, on, you know, your. Just an example. I slept till, I think about two p.m. today. Fell asleep last night at ten. I've slept too much, so I'm a bit, like, I feel like my brain is liquid. Mm. That's sort of where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> Where are you at? So I, I'm i in an interesting headspace. Um, I've been doing pretty okay during the pandemic. I'm hugely, hugely privileged. So, you know, that bloody helps. Um, 
uh, and I've been doing pretty okay with it. Um, but I think I've hit a bit of weariness this weekend and last week. Uh, I've been working a lot. I've been working on West Coast time for the last three weeks. What's that? So minus eight hours. Oh, yeah. Um, which works better for me because I'm a night person. So I, I would it was the reverse. I couldn't do it. But um, so I've hit a weariness, I think. I think I'm starting to realize that I can only work this much and do this much because I get energy from being out in the world. And when I can't do that, yeah, I've so I've hit a bit of a wall. I think it's, I think though, what I've seen is that this is all very cyclical. So I don't expect to be here forever. Like I know that I will like cycle out of this into something else. Um, what, what, what do you mean? Um, you won't be where forever? Like in your headspace? Or in the, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I won't be, I won't be like feeling tired and slightly fed up forever. Mm. So I'm just kind of letting myself go through it. Um, instead of that double whammy, you know, when you feel frustrated and then you're frustrated for feeling frustrated. <laughs> um, and I'm in a very unusual circumstance where, you know, three months ago, if we'd spoken, I think we did speak, I thought my business yeah. was finished, right? Yeah. Like uh, lockdown started, pandemic happened. And in a very obviously selfish way, I was like, oh, shit, I'm, my, my business is over, given that it's about people speaking in front of other people at live events. Um, but the opposite has happened, which I'm really grateful for, but it's kind of a bit of a, a spin, right? Like when you're expecting one thing and then the totally the opposite things ha- happens. Um, so, so it's been, a, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting few months. I think for everyone, this mm. is going to be some, a portion of their life. They're going to take a very long time unpacking. I feel like I'm getting to know myself better Go on. probably than I have because oh. you, you have to be with yourself. You can't distract yourself too much. Like there's only so much you can work and there's only so much you can go and see people. There's only so much you can like immerse yourself in the world. At some point, just for sheer exhaustion, if nothing else, you have to like be with yourself. Um, But I will say this about that. It, and this is going to sound really arrogant, but I mean, you know where it's coming from, I think. I'm happy with what I'm seeing. Like I've put in a lot of work to be in a better headspace in my life, with myself, you know, managing my emotions, dealing with, with, you know, past baggage. And I'm pleasantly surprised that what I find when I'm with myself is kind of good. Let's go into that baggage. Sure. (laughs) Your facial expression looks like you hate me a tiny, <laughs> tiny bit. How are you gonna go there? <laughs> well, it's just it's a it's. I mean, it's always fun when you catch people either in their, you know, pre having worked on themselves, mid working on themselves, and then, oh, I've actually reached a good point. So it's it's just it's rare that you actually meet people who have already done the work, right? <laughs> Usually, people are like, I'm in the middle of the shit. I don't know what to do. So I'd just love to know sort of where you where you come from with that mm. it, I definitely think it is an o- ever ongoing process but if it makes sense if, if it's a series of steps I feel like I'm at the end of a plateau period and I'm about to take a next step so that's how I feel like I'm okay with where I am um yeah I mean so if it's a lot of the stuff that you talk about I I think I I 
you know, spent so much of my life um, thinking that no matter what I achieved, it was worth nothing because I was fat, quite frankly. And that sounds, I think that for maybe some people who haven't experienced that, that seems ridiculous. But for people who know what I'm talking about, it can be so all-encompassing, almost like you feel that doesn't matter what you do, when people look at you, all they will see is all of the negative associations with the word fat, right? Um, and that that was that was so much of my life, and that you know stemmed from just generally, and I and I call this my like, because I, I did some research a while back in Tim Poster syndrome, which I have a whole series of opinions on, but generally, <laughs> I call this my like granddaddy gremlin it his he is the you're not good enough gremlin and he spawns all the other gremlins but they can all be traced back to him and so it just fed that feeling of not feeling good enough um but i very i i I still have bad days i think we all do where where i look at myself and i think how did you let this happen um but those are very few and I know when I, I know, I know what's triggering me into them, if that makes sense. Yeah. What are, what are those? Comments sometimes from people um, who don't mean anything by it. Yeah. So does it matter who it's from? Because I've I, I reached a point where trolls on the internet, I, it doesn't even touch me. So it has to be from, like, if I see a comedian that I respect and that I like, but is not a close friend of mm-hmm. mine, if they post something, part of me is like, <gasps> Oh God, because it's like a colleague and I'm meant to trust them, but can I trust them? And then that sort of ignites this. It's it's easier for me to blame myself and to internalize it than to think, oh, that person that I respect is actually a bit of a prick, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, I think I'm very lucky in, in that way that I'm very behind the scenes in what I do, right? You'll see me every now and again out, out front. Um, but very much like, like you said in the intro, people don't know who I am. They might've heard some of the speakers I've worked with, or they'll be familiar with Ted, or they may have even done a workshop I've done, but it's really, I'm not out there on a personal level in the same way you are. So I, I, I'm, as a woman of color, I'm very fortunate that I don't have to deal with a lot of online or any online harassment. It, it, and I don't really, I don't really get it. If this is what's so, I'm not going to use the word, well, funny about it um is that I don't really get it that often I don't get comments yelled at me I surround myself with people who who don't don't see fat as a negative word you know or at least are on that journey but every now and again something will slip through the net um and so yeah it's it does matter who it is but I can't imagine I mean I just I'm trying to think like I can, I can remember, I mean, I can remember moments in my life when I was younger where maybe I felt like people were judging me for my size, but I don't have that kind of stuff in my life. And I remember once I wore a dress out of the house and these like teenage kids laughed at me like two years ago. And I thought to myself, that's like the first time I've experienced that really directly. And I'm so lucky that it's the first time, right? Um, <laughs> So I think a lot of it is just internalized stuff and, you know, people not even meaning it. Like 
you know, people will say, oh, like during lockdown, we've, you've gained a bit of weight, right? Like I have too. And that is enough. Sometimes if I'm, if I'm wherever I am, that can be enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you feel about excess? Excess? Because I, I, I was going to ask you if this, um, your work being your identity, you work quite hard. And then I was going to ask if you think that's to sort of make up for mm. all of the sort of feeling not good enough or like knowing, feeling that what you achieve is worthless if you're still fat. But then I thought it's more than it could so easily be more than that. Like I, I'm very, um, it's everything is a bit about excess for me. Like my OCD is often about, you know, I can't just buy one milk. I have to buy two milk. Cause what if, you know, everything is a bit more. And I used to be quite, um, I don't want to say aggressive is sort of the wrong word, but a lot inside my sexuality. Like I used to talk a lot about sex and, it, I, and that became sort of a, you know, you see me as someone who isn't a sexual being. So I'm just going to scream about how sexual mm. I am. And so I was, I was wondering, and again, you know, I can't just be a bit funny. I have to be you know, a stand-up comedian on a stage in front of a hundred people going, look at me, you know? So I was wondering how you feel about that, about anything that's like accentuating you. I mean, I've never thought about it that way before. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. I think... I think definitely in my 20s and when I was in my teens, I think that was definitely a motivation, you know, like whether it was a distraction or even just like, yeah, like you said, trying to make up for not being good enough. There was definitely that kind of motivation. But I've I've come to realize that I my attitude, because I probably do work a lot. I don't work the way other people work. Like I don't work nine to five um you know some days I'll do nothing and some days I'll work 12 hours um but I do work a lot um and I think my I've been thinking about it actually I asked myself this the other day I said like why am I working so much like mm -hmm. do I even need to um it's because I really want to create while I can create like I know that that I'm not always going to be able to put in this kind of time and effort into these things that I care about my skill my craft my business this TEDx event I'm not always going to be able to give it what I give it now like other things will happen and I, and I just won't be able to right like life and and right now I can and so I feel really compelled to just keep creating like keep pushing keep putting stuff out there um for as long as I can do that and keep getting better at what I'm doing and I don't think anymore it's driven by a need to feel like I'm making up for something I think it's driven now and this is what I mean when I say I'm pretty happy with what I found it's driven by a need now to I just want to be great at it like I, I want to yeah I want to be really great at what I what I do um And I want to create, I've just seen what's possible and I want to keep creating really amazing experiences. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it was definitely probably that wasn't from a good place, but it's turned out okay, which seems like a, a good news story, right? Like it seems like, um, I mean, it's not super interesting <laughs> that I'm not suffering <laughs> anymore. Um, I had to do, I, for a long time, I had to realize that like life doesn't have to be dramatic to be interesting. 
for a long time, all I could, all, like I associated interesting and dramatic, you know, those two things were together. So whether it was the relationships I was in, whether it was just my mood and my attitude, everything was really intense and painful. Um, and it's not like that anymore. Did you feel at home or comfortable in the drama and in the pain? Oh, yeah. I do much better when things are not going well. I'm really good at problem solving. I'm really good at crises and picking stuff up. But like, you know, um, like it, uh, that is where I, I found my natural habitat. And partially because I I'm used to was used to it, partially because it meant that it wasn't like something could go wrong in the future. The thing was going wrong now. And I didn't have that fear of, you know, like sometimes when things are going really well, you think, okay, well, what the other shoe has to drop. Like what the hell is going to happen now? Like it can't be this good forever. But when you're in the middle of a crisis, you don't have that thinking. Um, but yeah, so I, I was always more comfortable in that. Much what, more. What was the drama that, where did the drama come from when you were young? Was that like so a... I, no, go on. No, I was going to say, like, so relationships, you know, really yeah. unhealthy relationships. I mean, younger, younger, like child. Younger. Oh, child. Um, You know what? I had an incredibly happy childhood. So there was no drama. And what was the drama then that you recreated? That's what's so interesting is I don't know if it has anything to do with my childhood. And, and like, you know, we've talked about this. I've studied psychology for many years. Um, That's what both my degrees are in. And I, and I... I mean, I was bullied as a kid. So it wasn't that my childhood had no pain in it, but my my family and that my home life, you know, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't, the things that weren't easy about it were nothing to do with the people and the lack of love or anything like that. It wasn't easy because, you know, my parents are migrants and although they are so super educated and talented, you know, as migrants, they, they lost everything when they moved here. They had to start from zero and they just hit global recession after global recession. Um, and so, you know, it was, I never felt like I was poor growing up, but in retrospect, I think my parents did a very good job of shielding me from any of that they actually did a very good job of shielding me from any of that harm I was you know it was really more external stuff that was happening I was bullied in school I was you know my when I was 13 my my three best friends at the time um they didn't like me we all became friends and then they they grew to dislike me because each of their parents liked me more than the other so they were really happy with them hanging out with me but they were not so happy with them hanging out with each other, if that makes sense. So they, what, like they used you as some sort of. So it would be like, you can, sure you can go and hang out with Marion, but no, you can't go and hang out with whatever her name was. And so they grew to resent me because I was somehow like, uh, I, I think this is what it was. And so when I was. That's, 13, that's something that, that only makes sense in a teenager's head, right? Yeah. And young, right? Like young, yeah. young kid. And, and this is going to be such a throwback to show, show you my age. Um, they made a cassette tape <laughs> about how ugly and fat I was. And then they like a, like a radio show for one hour making fun of me, <gasps> which they then played to me. Holy shit. While they were there in the room with you. 
I, I vaguely, I don't, I mean, I don't You've fully remember it because yeah, it was of course. so, so horrible that I, I, I like blocked a lot of it out. Of but course. Yeah. Whoa. And so, so I, I struggled with, fr- you know, it's so funny now because I think now I have the most amazing friends in the world, but it wasn't easy for me. I, I probably didn't figure out how to make really amazing friendships until really university. I mean, I have mm. one amazing friend from high school. We're still in touch. She's known me for like, oh God, like 25 years of my life, you know. But other than that, it's all from university. I just didn't know how to make friends that weren't going to treat me like shit until then. Yeah, of course. I mean, that that's going to fuck you up for... Yeah, you know- and that was, and it was all about being fat, you know. So it was just, it reinforced that, that all of that narrative in my head. Oh, God. Yeah, it just, it's weird because I was trying to, I was like, oh, that brings back something. Then I was like, oh, I can't connect it to a memory. So I was like, what is it that it brings back? It just brings back that feeling mm. of school, you know, mm. and just that. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, in high school, I was like, I went to a pretty rich high school, but we were pretty poor. Um, How old is to, high school in this country? Uh, so I was actually in the US. I was in New oh, York. Okay. And so it's year um nine through 12 so that is like um 14 15 to 17 18 no okay no oh 13 14 to 17 18 i can't remember but it's that period before you right before you go to university the four years before you go to university if you go if you go um and i remember there there was where i so before it was i was just you know fat and people didn't want to be friends with me and in in high school in New York it was I was much poorer than everyone else and I made the mistake of inviting um who I thought was a friend over to my house at the time and that wasn't really a house it was like you know it was just a it was not a nice place to live where I lived um and she told everyone Mm. you know that I was like the girl who lived in the basement with no light and it was just it was terrible did and, you know before like, that that it was a you know in our quotes bad thing I I realized very quickly when I moved to New York what wealth was mm. I spent I mean now I one of the reasons now I can kind of do the job I do or or even just be in the world the way I am where I can pretty much go into any circumstance and feel fine and like I belong you can put me any literally anywhere and I'm cool from you know rooms with billionaires to high school kids from East London and I will find places because I spent when I moved to New York I had to learn how to exist in this world that was brutal and that I and I that I hated and that I couldn't belong in because I just I didn't have the resource to really ever belong um and and so yeah so there was there was the being poor thing when I was in high school, which again, my parents did an excellent job of trying to shield me, but it was much more difficult because I could see, you know, every, every, it's like in the movies, like, you know, every holiday, the kids are off to the Hamptons or every Christmas people are skiing in, in Aspen or, you know, for their sweet 16, they get a BMW or, you know, like, like real wealth. Like everyone had a Prada bag. Everyone had designer clothes. Um, I found my little niche of geeks sure but even in that niche there was generally the joke was that I was like 
You know, I'm going to tell you this, Sophie, and in, in the context of everything we know and everything that's happening in the world right now, you just realize how cruel those days were. So I remember one of the male friends in my group saying to me, because they didn't know if someone was straight or gay, right? This was, you remember how this was a big thing back then? Mm. And I went to a, a progressive school in New York. So like still people were obsessed with people's sexuality and they were like, okay, well, why don't like you random female number one flirt with them and see if they like you and why don't you random male number one flirt with them and see if they like you and Marion, why don't you flirt with them because you're like the you're like the control because you're not really anything oh wow the control <laughs> obviously not laughing at you it's just no like a, no no a laugh, it is like recognition it is. and like yeah when you look back at it ah now you know non-binary people are like the most amazing people I know and they didn't even know what that's what they meant um but back in the day that was like the ultimate insult you know because I was I was too masculine to be a woman and too feminine to be a man and I was just asexual and a control group yeah yeah wow I mean what so why did you move to New York and where like from the UK from London okay why yeah. my my you know as I said like the, the the recession had hit my dad had um tried to get a job here hadn't it's a very long and convoluted story but eventually managed to get work over in North America and so my mom had lots of family there so we moved moved there to give it a go and then you moved back again to London yeah I mean I, I went to university first in in Canada in Montreal oh, oh, so you went to Canada yeah you, how much had you been moving around then so I, I I moved to London when I was two from Iran um and because I was born in, in Iran but um, you don't you don't remember anything from before two No, I don't. I mean, my parents have told me lots of stories because it was in the middle of the war. So it was in the middle of the Iran-Iraq war. It was at the height of the Iran-Iraq war, actually. Um, and so, yeah, my parents told me lots of stories, but I don't remember. My, my first memories are in the UK. Okay, but you also... <laughs> I'd like to refer you back to your earlier statement. <laughs> you didn't have any drama in your childhood. I didn't, ha I guess and now I didn't you've have been any born in family. A war. Yeah, I guess I didn't have any family drama is yeah. what I mean. Like, I'm an only child. Like, I have, there's there's no real family drama in that way in my family, but it was all it external. It was external. Yeah, fair enough. That, do you think that's made, from the stories you've heard, do you think that will have, I mean, we know we know how impressionable isn't the right word, but how much babies pick up, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, that can And you're pre-verbal, so it's even harder to oh, yeah. pinpoint. Well, you know, the psychology, no, right? No, no, no. I mean, I've thought about it a lot. Um, I've thought about a lot, a lot about how I think a lot of migrant kids do, and I think a lot of kids who maybe have experienced this do, like how all of that has influenced who I am and why I care about the things I care about and why I, I do the things I try to do. Um, I think it has... I spent a lot of time, for example, thinking that the only work that was worthwhile doing was work that was life or death. Mm. You know, being a doctor, working in a in a in a conflict zone, like 
that for a long time I thought that was the only work that was worth it and of of course I did <laughs> like mm. um I I think I care about the issues I care about so strongly because of all of that um and and I think absolutely you can't underestimate what that that just you know I ask I keep asking my mum um when when pandemic hit I said to my mum I said like you know not that this is like a war at all but there's an unpredictability mm. you know and I said you know a friend of mine was giving birth like a few weeks into the lockdown and I and I just made me think to ask my mum you know what was it like to have a one year old while there are bombs falling around you like the hospital I was born in doesn't exist because it was bombed to the ground the the apartment building next to ours was bombed to the ground while there was a children's birthday party going on inside. Like, you know, my whole family lived in one apartment building. Um, and keep in mind, this is all happening, right? This war is happening to the, it, to the backdrop of a, a religious extremist, ultra conservative authoritarian regime taking over a country, which meant, you know, my parents and my family being super liberals would in danger anyway. Um, and she said, you just get on with it. You have a lovely baby and you pay attention to them. And I guess that's what people are like. Like, that's what humans are like, right? I just, I think it's hard to imagine. I think it's hard to put yourself in that situation. And uh, yeah. So are they, how are they handling the pandemic? They're okay. Do you think, um, be, do you think they handle it differently because of what they've gone through? I think they have some perspective on it. They always have perspective on things like whenever we'd go through uh, airport customs or security and they would get blatant racism and I would freak the fuck out, basically. My parents would always be really relaxed and they'd just be like, you just gotta let it go. Um, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but at the same time, you know, they they do have a bit of a different perspective on it. But I think that it's so long ago now that they probably also had some of the same issues that we all had about, well, not everyone, but everyone dealt with it differently, but feeling more cooped up or, or feeling this uncertainty. And, um, you know, I, I've been trying to convince them not to watch the news as much and things like that. Um, because the world is so different now you have, you're connected to so much information in a way now that you weren't 35 years ago that it's, yeah, it's it's just I think a very different experience. Definitely. So when did you decide you wanted to study psychology? Um I had an incredible I had incredible teachers in high school. Like high school, I made it sound like a horrible experience. I actually had a great time. Despite all of that bullshit, I had a really great time. Um I had an amazing teacher. I, I was really lucky because I graduated high school right before all the amazing teachers who were in university in the 60s retired, oh. right? So I got all the hippies and the people who were protesting at Kent State and, you know, like the anti-Vietnam War protesters and like they were all my teachers in a way. And so I had this amazing wo- woman named Mrs. Gradinsky who w- had this special course, uh, called AP psychology or just psychology, I think. And it was like a senior level course. Um, you took once you'd done all the other requirements. Um, and I mean, this is one of the things of going to a wealthy high school, you get special courses like psychology and sociology that you can take at 
17 and I loved it and I realized that like I loved working with people I loved understanding people and I felt so drawn to it that I never even considered anything else when I went to uni um uh and it was yeah so I did that course and then I also just happened to get into uh, I worked damn hard. I have to like change my narrative on this. I worked really hard and I got into a really good university instead of, I'm trying to say that instead of, I just accidentally got into a really good university <laughs> um, that was just, had a very good psychology program. And so it was like almost sealed that I was going to do that. Um, I even did a master's in it. Um, and then I realized that I just didn't, even though like there was I always thought I was going to get my PhD like I always thought I was going to get my PhD you know like like my dad like my you know my grandparents were doctors so like it was uh it's totally standard in my family to think that um and I just after my master's I thought I I don't want to I don't want to go to school for another five years and still not get to work with the people I want to work with because I couldn't afford to like pay for a private school right I would have had to do something on the NHS because I was back here at that point and so I would have had to work for the NHS and not that there's anything wrong with that but as I said to you at the very beginning I can't do the work I don't like doing um uh so yeah I just decided to do something else was the you changing the narrative of saying you work very hard and you're going to a good school is that part of your imposter syndrome uh learning yeah absolutely Absolutely. I realized when I started to find out about imposter syndrome, I realized that I told the entire story of my life to you as if it was a series of luck and other people giving me an opportunity as if like I had no part in it. And what, how, what's the definition of imposter syndrome? It's that you think that you're not meant to be where you are. Yeah. So you feel like you fooled everyone into believing that you are better than like that you're smarter, better and more talented than you actually are. And that someday someone important is going to find out. Um, I think, yeah. That's but I will a common tell you experience, this, right? It's a very common experience, but I've, I, so I was going to write a book on it. Um, I did a TEDx talk on it many years ago, five years ago. And, and as I kept researching it, you know, you learn more and learn more. I understood it more. I understood how common it was. I, I started to understand how you could try to overcome it. Um, and then about a year ago, something, I did some reading and something really struck me, which kind of stopped me in my tracks, which is, you know, because we live in such an individualistic society, you know, and, and I think you've talked about this, the idea that like mental health becomes a responsibility and the, and the fault of the person. Mm. The imposter syndrome narrative does the same thing. It it makes it my fault, like something wrong in my thinking that I think this way and therefore I have to fix myself. But if you are a woman, if you are a person of color, if you're a migrant, if you're trans, if you're non-binary, if you're, you know, um, have some kind of disability, if you are basically anything but a And these things all have to be together. A white, cis, heterosexual, middle-aged man in the West. Of course, you're going to feel like an imposter because literally everything in society is geared up to make you feel like one. So who am I to go around and say, you have something wrong with you. You need to fix the way you're thinking. In fact, you're seeing things clearly. You know, 
it's or not clearly but of course you feel this way the whole world has told you if you're a black woman that you're not supposed to belong in the corporate world so of course you internalize that of course you think you're not good enough and that you fooled everyone and it's not your fault so that's why for me imposter syndrome is very real it has real consequences for people it can be really crippling but it's it's not it's not just entirely the fault of the individual and can it have consequences to because I, I, I it was a few days ago i read somewhere one of those articles that says things that women should stop saying and it's things like i just think or could it be possible if you know like uh, apologizing for yourself and for the first time in a while i thought yeah but how will that be read because of what they know about me i'm already angry way more than i actually am and i was like well is that true or how much of it is self-protection and how much of it is how much you know this whole idea that if you act like a man and you're gonna get what a man gets is that true though no i think i think it's it does it's harmful in two ways right one is it reinforces the fact that there's only one way to be in the world, which is which is a, which is a white Western man. Um, and I think the other thing it does is there's so many studies that show that um, women who, for example, one specific one is women who negotiate for their own salary are viewed less favorably than men who negotiate for their own salary. But women can negotiate for other people's salary and that seems as fine. Huh. yeah so yeah. women who are outspoken in the, another one of these that i loved is women who are outspoken in the workplace who speak up when they disagree or they think something is wrong are seen as less trustworthy and less reliable so you think about what we're telling women on one hand we're telling and, and not just women but i'm mm. just going to use women as shorthand like we're telling them stand up for yourself, be more communicative, be assertive, ask for what you want, learn to negotiate, don't say the word just in your emails. And on the other hand, we're actually, like, they get demerits for that. Like, they get penalized for that behavior. And we still just reinforce the fact that there's only one way to be. So what do you do? What's the solution? You know what? I'll tell you. I, I don't know the exact answer, but I'll tell you one of the reasons why I've started to feel like the work, like the internal work I've been doing has been working. Because obviously sometimes you need some external val validation. And I'm going to use the, the TEDx example here. So when I started organizing TEDx, it was 10 years ago. And 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 like for those who don't know, TEDx's can be organized by anyone, and they're on, they're multidisciplinary, right? They're not supposed to be focused on one topic. Um, so I started organizing them ten years ago when I was working for a human rights charity, and that charity was amazing, and they supported me to do it. Um, I would get the feedback from some of the TED people at the time, and just, if you can just imagine how different the world was ten years ago, two thousand ten, right? Oh, Mariam, your your topics are really social. They're, and that was the word they would use, so, social. Um, and I would be like, yeah, but I'm not doing that on purpose. Like, I'm going to a mathematician and they want to talk about inequality. I'm going to a technologist and they want to talk about algorithmic bias. Like, like I am not 
I, I'm trying to make this multidisciplinary and it is, it's just like the world was different and Ted was very different at that time. 10 years later, right? And world has changed, Ted has changed. And now what we do with TEDx London is seen as like one of the top nine TEDx's in the world. And we get regularly complimented on the kinds of stories we platform and the talks that are picked from our events to get to ted.com are often the ones that are social um and th there's a very long answer to your to question of like how what do you do i think that if you know for me the thing that worked that i did not think would work was just being true to myself and continuing down the path just bull like 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 um stubbornly like just being like i am going to keep going this way and i think and i didn't even actually i didn't even actually think about the rest of the world but the rest of the world caught up in the end and i'm not because i'm some it's not because i'm some kind of genius mm -hmm. curator it's just because i exist in the world as a brown woman everything is political for me everything is social for me and then that became true for more and more people until like the balance tipped um so I just think that if you, I think you have to like, just be authentic to you. Like if you are, you know, if you identify as female in the workplace and you are like loud and aggressive and stubborn and you call people out, do that. But if you're quiet and soft-spoken and considered, not that you can't be both those things at the same time, but let's say, then do do that. And like, I don't know whether one person's actions are going to make be able to change a system like that. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you can spend your whole life trying to be what other people tell you behave the way other people tell you you're supposed to behave and yet you still won't get it right. So why bother? Isn't it amazing how much of psychology comes down to, Hey, you, you're already doing fine. You're okay. Everything's fine. <laughs> you've, you've only. I mean, I know it's bullshit, right? Like, I know just being like, you be you. Just do no, you. No, no, but that, I mean, but there's a reason why that's a cliche. It's because often that, and it's it's the reason why it's something that's so simple, yet, you know, and when you say it, you want to be like, oh, yeah. But then if you actually think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, that is exactly what I need to actually do. It just sounds very easy, but it's really hard to do. Yeah. I mean, and you talk about this a lot, Sophie, which I really love, is it doesn't mean that you don't adapt and evolve and change and learn, right? Like, just in my language, I've learned so much in the past, like, I mean, three years alone, let alone 20 years, um, where I've, got, I, you know, because I think that's the other thing that people do. And I, I'm not saying just like be you and fuck everyone else right that's that's not it you still can like learn and evolve with the world and like be a be better versions of yourself as you keep going it's just that you don't have to change everything about you because you read in an article that you're supposed to it's just like you and I you've said this it's not like me losing 50 pounds is all of a sudden going to solve all my problems You know, but that is what we're told. And it's the same thing with like, be be quieter, be more assertive, join lots of clubs. I mean, Are you saying that women shouldn't hashtag lean in? You know what? I found what Sheryl Sandberg said 
after very sadly her husband passed away interesting on this right so she her husband was the founder of linkedin he passed away after an accident in in the gym very young um she'd written lean in before and after lean in and i'm i'm not quoting exactly but she said something like now i understand why it's so difficult for single moms to lean in now i don't Whoa. i don't wish that on her like that's not what Obviously i'm saying not, i just no it because it, it's it's so so sad it's more that it i i do think we should lean in but i i just don't i just don't think it's about all doing it the same way does that make sense like it yes so the question it might not be uh take up more space it might be just take up your space yeah like like we yes it does make sense it's like if you spent your whole life shrinking yourself yeah why don't you actually take up the space you need yeah yeah which is the same as be you where lean in is a bit more like be more than what you actually are yeah that's that's too many words to put on a on a book cover yeah i mean <laughs> this is why i'm never going to be a published author but <laughs> Well, so you do a lot of, I mean, one of the reasons that your TEDx events are so great is that you are so, I mean, you get the, you get people on like just a tiny bit before they blow up. So you know what you're looking for, right? Like you, you, and in a world where, well, right now events in general are a bit, you know, under risk, but especially there's so much talk about diversity and representation and And you manage to um, you be careful about saying nail that because no no one's perfect, right? But no. you, you come as close as to nailing it as one possibly can. So, what well, I don't even know what my question is. Like that at a job that's already not going to pay you a salary, that's a lot of work. Well, th- first of all, thank you. Actually, you. think it's <laughs> you seem to think it's fun. Yeah, well, uh, doing it with you makes it a lot more fun. That's one thing. Um, uh, no, thank you. I think, um, yeah, I, I uh, let's put it this way. I, I, my mom keeps asking me, like, why do you do this? It's not, you know, you, like you're so tired and it's so stressful. And um, I love it. I do love it. Um, like at TEDx, when I run, when we run TEDx as a team, like you can do something that it, you can never do mostly in your professional life right which is basically say we have an idea like a collective vision and we've brought people around us who have who share that vision and we're just going to make it exist from nothing and if we have an additional idea we're just going to do that there's no one to go to to get permission we're, we're just going to make this incredible and we're going to create it, it there's something about creating something that's so important to me i see it as a very um it, i see it as my creative outlet in a way um and that's that's kind of what's it, it's the people it's the speakers it's being able to see what happens when they do come and they do work with us what happens in their lives afterwards it's so exciting um i think the reason and i don't know if this is what you were asking but the reason why we make, get people quote unquote before they blow up, which is not everyone like you had already blown up when we got you. Um, I have anything you, you helped me back. 
<laughs> um, is I think we aren't looking for people who are already famous. And if they are famous, we often ask them to speak about something that other people maybe aren't as used to having them speak about in that way. So, I mean, you, like, obviously, because you gave your talk right before Happy Fat came out. Now mm. you speak about it a lot. But I think maybe people wouldn't have, like, if they didn't know your comedy, maybe they wouldn't have expected that from you. And um, with, like, Mary Portis last year, you know, people might have expected to talk about retail and she talked about kindness. So I think we only bring on really, like, well-known people when they talk about something unexpected or we bring on people you haven't heard of but we think you should have. So that immediately makes like a cut in who you're looking for. And then we're uncompromising on the diversity. So, <coughs> sorry, this is what happens when you decide to stop taking your hay fever medicine, just because <laughs> um, we're uncompromising on the diversity. So we will, I think it's, I think it's lazy when curators say we just couldn't find anyone. I get it because it's a self-perpetuating cycle but you can you could if you worked harder because it's not like there aren't any like women of color trans people non-binary people people with disabilities might who do and speak about the things you want them to speak about um you just gotta look harder and find them and i think that's one of the reasons why those people do go on and and have more opportunities and more speaking and book deals. And it's because we've done the work of finding them. And then people are like, ah, finally. And that can be problematic too, right? Because it's not about one person representing everyone in their community, but at least we do our part to like get more people a platform. Otherwise, what's the point? Like, what's the point in me giving someone who already can put a video out on YouTube and get a million views, another million views? I mean, it sounds all very worthy, but it's it, it's worked so far. Well, I mean, if if I maybe if I hadn't actually been at two of those events, I I may have said that it sounded a bit too good to be true. But I've been at two TEDx London Women events, and both times it's been. I mean, were you did did you go to that the World Is on Fire show that I did with mm -hmm. Jess Baker? Yeah, I it did. had the Amazing. same feeling of where ours was more, you know, a show where yours is more like a day event. I don't know what you're talking, you know, <laughs> less showy. Um, but it was the same feeling of every single person that you see on stage will just change your life in some way. And you're just sort of hit by the sort of bravery and the, I mean, there's been people who've listened to all the episodes of, of uh, this podcast has been, a f I mean, a fair bit of, of, the guests have also been on my podcast because I went up to you after the show and was like, I need the email addresses of everyone because <laughs> I need all of these people on my podcast. Uh, so yeah, sounding worthy. Yeah, it, it is. It's good. Like it's, I mean, that show by the way, in January was like, for me as a curator was just such a input of, of, mm. of inspiration, creativity, hope excitement like I think it's I, I don't know if you feel this with your comedy but like when you see for me it's when I go to something like that and I see something amazing I'm so inspired and I'm and it fuels me 
Um, and I and I need those inputs because you can't keep. I, I don't know. If, I, I'm just curious to know if it's the same with comedy. You can't keep creating on empty. Yeah, that's. I think that's what's tricky about being a creative in this pandemic. So like now I'm starting to do these online shows, which is sort of sort of the same thing. But when you go to do a live show, there's the. I mean, I never thought how much it meant having to get dressed and <laughs> go outside and get in a car or on a train and mm. go to a venue and hear the audience walk in and be about to go on stage and, you know, working on, like, feeding off the energy. And I had no idea how, like, because I've often, when I've been tired, I've been like, oh, if I could just be, like, sapped onto the stage from home, I, that would be so much better. But now I realize, oh, no, that's part of it. It's the gearing up to it. It's the adrenaline. It's the... And yeah, at the moment, I mean, I was working very hard on a new show before we went into lockdown. And in theory, I could still work on it, but I just can't, I can't, I just can't. There's, there's no, the energy is lacking. The, the, what do you, yeah, and I guess it is energy, isn't it? Just the, the, the feeling of having yeah. something to create with isn't there. Yes, I mean, I, yeah. Out of the, I think that show in January that we did was, it's, I think it's one of the things that's keeping me going because it, if I felt like at, when it happened, I felt like, oh, well, I mean, also, I'm so sorry if this was what caused it, but I remember thinking, well, now anything could happen in 2020 and I'd be fine. <laughs> this will have been the highlight. So I'm so sorry that I um, I jinxed the year of 2020. It's you. It's been you all along. Do you remember in the beginning of the pandem- of the pandemic, everyone had a um, was this tweet going around saying, "What did you do to cause the pandemic?" And everyone had like a, "Oh yeah, I I said, oh now nothing can go bad now." <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I keep I keep having I have this feeling right now about how we're just we are living in in a uniquely terrible and horrifying but unique moment in, in in really in history like nothing going forward from this moment will look like it did before um and and some of those can be good things and some of those are going to be tough difficult things um but it i guess it's i i used to always think to myself when i like because I love history and I used to always think to myself like what would it be like to um work like to sorry to live in this moment in history or mm-hmm. like I wonder what that would feel like and you realize that you ha- it, it feels like nothing meaning it feels like everything and nothing it, it, it it's an undescribable emotion because you know that what you're experiencing it will be momentous you know and I don't mean that in a positive I mean like a moment in history where and yet there's nothing you can do. You just keep living. Yeah, um, I, this is weirdly how I felt. <laughs> this is when I realized I didn't want kids was because I realized that the way I had been thinking about children was in snapshots. So I remember, you know, I'd think, oh, that first step or their first day of school or changing their diaper. And it, it would be like this like one minute and a half montage. And then when I met my friend's baby for the first time, I was like, oh, it's constant. <laughs> this is all the time. There's a baby there constantly. There's a thousand diapers. 
And I just had this feeling of, no, no, that, no, 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 I don't want that. That's not what I want. And it's sort of the same thing when I, I realize I've thought about history, like snapshots, you know, the bomb dropping or the, the day where the, your country's liberated or whatever it is, like all these moments that you hear about. I had never thought about the fact that people woke up, went about their days and then went back home and just went to bed. Like it's, and that's, I think that's what this has given me, this idea that I can imagine if the world is still here in a hundred years and people talk about it, it'll be, they'll also remember this in glimpses, you know, they'll yes. like the, the people wearing masks and the people dying, which I think we'll see a lot. I think they'll see a lot of that in a hundred years. And they'll be like, how could people even go outside? Because all they'll see is dead bodies, right? Well, we don't see that now because then we'll start to think about how horrible the government is handling it and it'll be so <laughs> yeah. weird to, to say like oh yeah no 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 we joked about it and there were jokes happening and you know some people and even mundane things yeah right like went to the park yeah or we're like oh god what am I gonna make for dinner you know, yeah like, just the the mundane normal everydayness of it yeah it's super strange but I guess that's how people survive right I, I think so. I I think, but I think, you know, going back to what you said about creating. Yeah. I think it's, I think you can, you just, you can't dictate where you get your inspiration from. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like you choose where you, what inspires you. Like, <laughs> um, otherwise you'd just be like looking at this lamp inspires me. Um, and then you write, you know, an award-winning show. Um <laughs> Another award-winning show. Sorry. sorry, another award-winning show. Where's um, matter? In a long series. Um, and so I think that's the that's where you know what I was saying at the beginning. I'm feeling weary and frustrated. I'm. I think I wasn't clear enough pre-pandemic as to where my inspiration came from, and I'm trying to now figure that out. And I'm not. I'm not there yet. I'm, I've gone down like a couple of different paths, and, and I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, before I ask you the last question, I want to touch upon what essentially this whole podcast is, which is this, how do you, I don't like the word healing. I know it's so important and I know it's the right word, but it's, for me, it's like journey. It feels too like, ugh. but I guess what I'm, cause you said you've done a lot of work. So what I want to know is what's the work you've done? What have you learned? How do you, how do you heal? What is there a better, how do, it's because I'm not allowed to say fix things. I'm not allowed to say that by my therapist, but that's essentially what I mean. How did you fix it? <laughs> you didn't say that though. Um, <laughs> how do I heal? Um, I did a lot of work to get out of my life, people who were not good for me. Um, and have conversations with the people in my life who I didn't want to, to leave, but who were saying things that were hurtful or triggering, uh, difficult conversations about if they could stop because what they were doing was so harmful to me. Um, how? How do I have those conversations? Yeah. That's boundaries, right? That's setting boundaries, which is like... I don't have this very often. I'll tell you that. Um, but if I really love someone and I really want them to be in my life and I and, and they're saying stuff that's hard, 
it's I think it's just how is just a matter of just sitting down and being vulnerable like and 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 not getting angry like you know there's something about I I keep thinking to myself like do I want to be right or do I want to be happy and and what I mean is I can yell at someone for all the things they're doing wrong but that's not going to make me happy that's just going to make them wrong if I want to be happy then what's my end goal and sometimes your end goal, that path doesn't lead through you telling them they're wrong and you're right. Sometimes it leads through being vulnerable and listening um, and finding a, a way there. It's really hard because being right makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, but you know what I mean? Like sometimes I just find that sometimes like I, you know, if you ha- like, you just, I don't, I'm, yeah, I, for me, it's about like identifying like what is it that I really want um, and how do I get there? Um, I'm really bad at, at hearing the word no. Like I, I don't, it doesn't really compute with me when someone says, no, you can't do that. And I don't mean that obviously in like an intimate setting. I mean that out <laughs> in the world, you know, I mean that out in the world. I mean that in like, I, I just try to find a way to make it work. and and so. I just have to keep asking myself, like, what do I want here? Um, what will make me happy? And then find a way to get there. Um, but yeah, cutting people out. And then, you know, doing what you said in your 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 TEDx talk, which I, I've heard from you, I've heard from from Bethany Rutter, you know, people who've really been so instrumental to me in my life. Like surround yourself with online content that inspires you. Like surround yourself with online content that makes you feel like you are great just the way that you are, whether that's the way you look or the way you sound or the, you know, and, and I know that that's all like, we all need to burst our bubbles, but it's okay if Instagram is the place where you feel safe or it's okay if like, I don't know, the, 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 the images you look at are, um, like make you feel good about yourself. Therapy? Um, I have never been to therapy. I went to therapy really? once. Yeah, I went to therapy once. It was terrible, but I think therapy is amazing. And I think lots of, most people should do it. Um, and I would recommend everyone take the time to find the right therapist and and see them. So did you s- sort of just know how to self-fix? Or do you think you still have a lot of shit that you haven't dealt with yet? I'm sure I have lots of shit I haven't dealt with. I think it's like a step plan. I think it is steps. Like I've I've made it part, like I've I've kind of surfaced this level. I will have the next level of stuff I can deal with. I think your brain does only give you so much you could handle in a way. Um if it, if it's if it's functioning. Oh, I think you did you cut oh, out? Am I still there? Oh, you are now. You just went yeah sorry this is very funny i am i'm I'm on a computer that i don't know and the screen just turned off but i think i can still see you if you can still see me and you can still hear me i'm just gonna keep going there we are (laughs) (laughs) i'm not on my computer and it just went power off um (laughs) um great it's like stop talking where i'm um uh what was i saying oh yeah um i did i know what to do no but i'm very good 
about I'm very good at learning from other people's mistakes. I don't think that I if I can see other people making mistakes and learn from them, I would rather do that than make them myself because I know I'm absolutely going to make my own. Um, and having a I psychology think, agree, degree help you as absolutely. well? Absolutely. Like it helped me understand how my thoughts were cycling, like circling out of control, how if I could catch them early. Um, it, it helped me name my emotions um, and understand why that's so important. Um, and, you know, and I've, and I've also consumed stuff out in the world that has helped, like, you know, um, whether it's from friends who are therapists or reading and listening or going, you know, different, different things. Um, I'm, I'm in a way sad. I never got therapy. I think it would have made it a bit easier and a bit quicker. Um, I think therapy is amazing. I'm with you on this. I think every, like, why wouldn't you? You have a trained professional whose entire job it is to help you do you better. We go to the gym with a trainer, right? Like we've talked about this a lot, both of yeah, us, yeah. although we're not trying to lose weight, go to the gym and see a trainer because that person knows how to do the shit that I don't yeah. know how to do. And also I don't really want to learn how to do when yeah. it comes to the gym. Um, I think, you know, with, with the therapist, I definitely – think that it's it's yeah everyone should see one and i and i don't can afford it well this is it right is it yeah. is it everyone should have access to one yeah i really wish it, that it should be so, great i wish that it was such a common opinion to have that you didn't even have to state it every time like yeah it, it should be it should be so implicit in everyone like when everyone on this side of history right everyone who's liberal or whatever mention therapy it should be so implicit that obviously it should be free obviously everyone should have access to it it should um, be like going yeah. to your gp like yeah. you should be able to i know actually in this country you don't do that but in the in the us and stuff you go for a checkup right mm. you in canada you go to your your gp for a checkup once or twice a year depending on your age and that's they're they're there they're free that you know and why wouldn't we have a similar one for our mental health given that there's such a massive co correlation between like mental health and physical health. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just nodding, agreeing yeah. with you very, so very I much. know you, you were on the same page <laughs> with this, but yeah, I think I, I think therapy is helpful. I, I think you've got to find the right therapist though. Oh yeah. Oh, this, oh, it, it breaks my heart every time someone has met one and then they've given up forever. Yeah, like the, the one I went to one at university because um, I needed to, and he he was a psychoanalyst. He had a little bobble doll of Freud on his <laughs> on his thing, and I was like, I don't think this is going to work. And I was right, you know. But then I went to another counselor, you know, for for a few weeks because I was struggling and needed some some help. And um, you got to yeah, you got to shop around. Yeah, it's like you your hairdresser. To. God, imagine if people spent as much effort finding the right therapist as they did finding the right hairdresser. It's not like you have a one bad haircut and then yes, you're like, no, never, never again. <laughs> I'm growing it out. <laughs> That's a perfect analogy. Mira, I'm going to ask you the, um, the last question now, which I know you've heard before. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. You're in the delivery room and you've just been born. Teeny, teeny, tiny Mariam. And she is lots of hair. 
So much. Oh, really? I, I had so much hair as a child. I had a <laughs> unibrow and a full head of hair. As a baby? As a newborn. As literally as I popped You out. had a unibrow as a baby? I'll send you a photo. Please do. Can we make it the, the picture for this entire episode? <laughs> yeah, I was cute, Dad. <laughs> okay, so Marianne's coming out crying because she just, I don't know, saw a mirror. <laughs> Maybe she's crying because the mother is crying because she just saw her little gremlin. Uh, so... <laughs> I'm so sorry beautiful, beautiful <laughs> child um, all babies are beautiful anyway it's crying right because there's lights and sounds everywhere and everything's terrifying and you know she's born into a wall right and she's looking at uh, at you because you're there now holding teen time and she's looking at you like what the fuck is this right is there always going to be lights and sounds is this what life is have I just been what have you? What, what what's going to happen? And you obviously can't give yourself any advice. So that's not what this is about. You can't change the future. You won't remember this later. You have a tiny baby looking at you, knowing that you're there from the future, and she's going, "What is this? What is this going to be?" And that's the question she would like for you to to answer her. What would you say to teeny tiny baby you? What is this going to be? Like, what is this life going to be? Um. I would say to her that this life is amazing and heartbreaking and more wondrous and more sad than you can imagine, but that you will always have love around you and that that is the thing to hold on to. Do you still need to tell yourself that? I think I yeah I think I tell myself that I think I think I do tell myself that I think I I actually think that because I have babies in my life I think that for them mm. and when you think that for them you can't help but think it for you that sounds so healthy <laughs> I mean it's not always this good up here but <laughs> you seem so psychologically healthy it's disgusting oh <laughs> We could have met seven years ago, Sophie. It would have been a totally different conversation. <laughs> I almost I wish I'd seen you back when you were super flawed. Oh, I'm super flawed now. Please don't get that impression that I'm oh, not. Don't worry, I know. I know. Good. So, <laughs> where can well, it's not like plugging, um, it's not like usual plugging, but where can people what's your business? Tell me where people can uh, find oh, you. Yeah, fine. Um okay, so you can find me. On Instagram, Marion Pasha, Twitter, this is Pasha, and LinkedIn, Marion Pasha. And I link to a lot of the stuff from my business, just from my personal accounts. Um, and the business is called X Equals. Um, and for TEDx London, you know, it's just TEDx London on everything. So, you know, all the so- different socials and the website, and you'll find all that information there. So, yeah, that's me. I highly recommend it. Thank you, Sophie. Uh, now I'm going um, to say bye-bye, and then I'm going to ask you extra questions for the extra bit for the patrons. Uh, fantastic. I'm excited Good. to talk to the patrons. <laughs> Good. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. No, pa. 
hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Please do go and find Miriam on all the social media platforms and thank her for participating in this and watch all the stuff she does with TEDx London. I hear that there might be a podcast on its way from her. You didn't hear it from me if it's a secret and if it's not then you did hear it from me. And uh, so so keep an eye on her socials to um to listen to that because I mean you'll agree by now that she's <laughs> she's quite relevant to this world and to all of us. So uh, I'm going to stop sucking up to her now. I don't think I've ever said any of these things to her face, uh, as you may be able to tell in our main conversation. I'm uh, Well, you'll know this by the other friends I've spoken to, like Larry Dean, uh, Trevor. Like I, I, <laughs> I get a bit, a bit harsh on them, and then when they can't hear me, I tell the world how much I depend and love them, depend on them and love them. So that's what's happening now. So... I'm just going to jump straight into it. Uh, if this is the first time you're listening, I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D. And if you give $5 or more per episode, you get your name read out loud uh, at the end, which is what's about to happen now. And uh, I'm just, as always, super grateful. Super grateful. Uh, so I'm going to just say your names now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Again, for some reason, I can't make it put your names in alphabetical order. So I find it very difficult to do the the uh, the competition we usually have about which name appears several times. So if someone can, uh, if someone notices a difference in our score, please let me know because I I don't have the capacity. Uh, so I want to say a massive thank you to Kathy Draxelbauer, Beth Payton, Isabel Johnston, Bethany Dahlstrom, Claire Fletcher, Simon James, Phil Scordis, Dan Rushton, Zoe Stephenson, Lindsay Bushniak, uh, Georgia, Jen Boyle, Rowan Pierce, Bamboo Bandit, Christine with a Y, Catherine, Kath, Catherine Norton, Galway Cass, Sophia Ramsey, Aretha, Emma Parangi, Helen Jerina, Dieter Brønberg-Jensen, Helen Jermak, he he, Anna Marie Hepburn, Katrine Pedersen, Holly Ritchie, Hannah Powell Smith, Danielle Johnson. Felicitations, E. Kirsten E. Oh, sorry, I thought I just found a pattern. I thought that all the surnames were in alphabetical order. They're not. Nicola Ellison, Samantha Jolie, Victoria Layton, Laura Ingman, Rachel Ray England, Catherine Williams, Emily Bindi, Liz Cassell, Gillian Davidson, Rianne Rivers, Chrissy Nicholson, Grace Ann, Maeve Hulihan, Victoria Greer, M. Dash, Andrew January, Cherry Winter, Kathleen Gulmanson, Hannah Rose Tristram, Megan Roberts, Caitlin, Austin Blue Sky, Fenella Dan Privacy Osaurus, Aurora Teratops, Barry Norton, Andrea Papillon, Anya Knoblauk, Pierre Fenne, Fenne, Lola Phoenix, Rachel Phillips, Lillian Harry French, Hunger in the Bunker, Paul Swaddle, Kat Posse, Sarah Ellett, Ragdoll, Perpetual Motion, Harry Minot, Susie Tyler, Kirsten Davidson, Maury Fraser, Katie Hatfield, Robin Cabas, Sarah Plumer, Robert Knowles, Josie, Jenny Kratz, Danny Beckett, Heroin Dyke, L, Daniel Rafashid, Rachel Furley, and Andy Walker. I love you all more than you will ever know. You're making my life so good. Thank you so, so much. Now, uh, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to try and get an get you another episode next week it's a bit of an up and down at the moment i'll be honest with you <laughs> there's a lot of um it's because it's invisible right like if i said that i was going to the gym to train my knee because it was broken or whatever um you would understand well everyone would understand i'm going to take an hour out of my day to go and do this but when it's psychological and it's like a constant constant work in your head you can't see it 
it just looks like I'm lying in bed looking into a wall, but I'm actually working. <laughs> but I'll get you another episode next week. Um, and I just want to say, uh, if you are listening and if you are one of the people who don't go outside because of the pandemic, who who's staying inside, who has a choice, I want to say. I know that a lot of people are forced to go outside and I'm so sorry. So sorry for that. It's because your boss is, you know, prioritizes prioritize profit over people which is disgusting but if you're one of the people who can stay inside and you are because you know that the pandemic is uh killing people and it is contagious and you might have it without knowing it so there's a risk of you killing people if you go outside i just want to say solidarity because i don't know about you but i am feeling i'm feeling gaslit and i don't use that in an easy way, I feel gaslit by the world because it seems to me that everywhere around me, people are just going outside and they're living as if it's normal and people are in cafes and restaurants and shopping and it's just, it makes me feel like I am losing it. Like I keep having to Google, is there still a pandemic? And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, people are still dying. And it feels so strange. And I've, this is the first time I've been inside now for a hundred and nineteen days, and I I miss a lot of things about the outside. I never thought I would actually say that, but I mean that's what's that's a third of a year, isn't it? That's a third of the year. Wow, in a row, right? Like that's. That's, yeah, intense. And in the beginning, when I had friends who were like, oh, I feel slightly mad because everyone's going outside and I'm not. I was the one to go, hey, we are the ones who are right. We should be staying inside. But now I'm one of the people going like, am I, uh, should should I be, should I be going outside as well? Like, I, I sort of know that it's dangerous and it's like life and death, but everyone else is doing it. And I start to feel like I'm the weird one. And I start to feel like it's just an excuse I have in my head that because I'm lazy, that I don't want to go outside. And then, you know, you remind yourself of the facts and <laughs> it's just a very weird situation. So if you're in that situation, know that we are, there's more people also staying inside and you're not alone with that. And I, um, yeah, I do fully think that that is the right thing to do. And you know what? If it only affected your health, I couldn't give less of a shit like you can do whatever you want you can drink pure covid and i i would let you make that choice for yourself uh if that's what you wanted to do with your health you can do whatever you want it's just the thing about it being contagious especially if you go to restaurants and cafes where the the wait staff might not have had a choice in going back uh it would be very nice to i mean i hope you at least tip the fuck out of those people the few times i've had takeaway i've left like a seven pound tip just just because I felt horrible that someone had that job and of course seven pounds is not going to help them if they do get COVID but um yeah you know I'm not saying I'm perfect but I feel tremendously guilty every time I get a food delivery but then you see other people you know hanging out in parks with all their friends and having garden parties my neighbor is often having garden parties on Saturdays that's fun and then you feel like a horrible person for you know, having a delivery guy place food on your doorstep and then take three steps back. 
I mean, it's weird. It's a weird world. It's a it's a very strange world. Anyways, I just wanted to let you know that you are not alone in uh, still taking the virus seriously. Imagine having to even say that. Imagine having to... Like, people have asked me for to meet up with them and I've been like, N- no, I'm... I'm... There's a pandemic. And I felt like, what, am I the first person to tell them? What? <laughs> Did they not know? So... I just wanted to say that. I just want to put that out there. I don't know if people are still listening at this point. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. And thank you for sharing the podcast with people. If you can't support financially, that is definitely like a massive help. So thank you so much for doing that as well. And for all your kind comments and for being amazing on social media. And all in all, I just hope you have an amazing week. Until I speak to you next time, I want to say a massive thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Miriam for joining me as a guest Thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Justine McNichol for the logo. This podcast was produced by Dying Alone Limited. I'll speak to you next week. Bye! Mm-hmm.